still kicking. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me, but I also know that I live in me. I still have my old nature. He's not dead. He's still alive, but I have to kill him every day. You got to murder him. Murder him. Every morning. Wake up in the morning, kill him. For I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Ephesians. Probably my second favorite book of all of the Bible. Last week I preached out of my favorite, which is Romans. And uh, we talked about Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. This morning I want to be in Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, preach from 1 through 10. What I want to talk to you about this morning is the quickening. The quickening. Now, I'm going to read a few verses to you while you're looking up Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read you a few verses out of Ephesians chapter 1. And then I'll catch up with you when we get to Ephesians 2 and verse 1. But in verse 15 of chapter 1, it reads like this, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. Well, I'll tell you what, that should be said about all of God's churches. That people are talking about the excitement and the love and the commitment and the dedication and the surrender of what's going on in the church. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord and love unto the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers always. So Paul is saying, listen, because of your faith, I've heard it all the way across the seas over here where I'm at. I've heard of what's going on in your church. And I want you to realize that it stirred me up to pray for you. We need prayer. Amen. We need prayer in our country. We need prayer in our homes, our families. We need prayer in our churches because our churches are not doing what the church of Ephesus. Paul stayed there for three and a half years, longer than he stayed anywhere else. And he planted a lot of churches. He planted that church, the church of Ephesus. But he stayed there and he taught them a lot. And uh, he loved them, and when he left them, he heard how good they were doing. Verse 17 says that, that I'm praying, I make mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Do you understand your revelation, your knowledge, your understanding of who God is, what God is, how God is? All of those things are gifts of God. You can't figure God out. And neither can I. Just by the natural reasoning of a human being sitting down with a Bible and going through black ink or red ink on white paper, we can't know God. The only way we come to know God is when God reveals Himself to us. He opens our heart. He opens our mind. He gives us wisdom. He gives us light. He gives us understanding. And Paul is saying that I'm praying 
for those things, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him for your church. Are you praying for your church? That God might open our hearts and our minds, our understanding, give us revelation, give us light, give us understanding. Verse 18 says, And also that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling. Now that calling is God's calling or election or drawing you out of the world into the family of God. That is talking about salvation, that He has, that you may know what is the hope of your calling. Well, what is the hope of my calling? The hope of my calling is that God might illuminate, regenerate, wake me up, give me knowledge, give me light, give me understanding of the Word to the point that I might receive Him as my Lord and Savior. And what the riches of the glory of His inheritance is among the saints. Now, I have an inheritance one day waiting for me in glory. Boy, I'm excited about that, Miss Kathy. I'm looking forward to it. Amen. But He's given me a down payment of that inheritance in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of the Holy Spirit to come take a residence on the inside of me. And now I walk through this valley, not alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. I'll never leave thee, never forsake thee. I can almost hear Miss Dorothy Nell sitting right there saying, Amen. That's her favorite verse. Amen. You tell her I mentioned it this morning when you see her after church. But certainly... The Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of me is just a little bit of a down payment of what God has promised me of an eternal inheritance in glory. Verse 19 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to His working or to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him. God the Father raised Christ from the dead. And that that exceeding greatness of His power that resurrected Christ is a same power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which that power wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places. May I say that that power of God that reached in to Christ when He was in the tomb and illuminated, regenerated, and woke Him up literally from physical death. Jesus Christ was physically dead. How much did He have to do with His own resurrection? Nothing. That resurrection is the quickening that we see in the next verse in chapter 2 of verse 1. You look at chapter 2 verse 1, And you hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Just as Christ hung on the cross, shed His blood and died and was buried in a tomb. He was in that tomb for three days. And He was dead. And God the Father woke Him up from a physical death for our justification. And that one day, because of the sinless perfect life that Christ had lived... For us, because it takes sinless perfection for us to go to heaven. Christ was sinlessly perfect for me. He died for me because the wage of sin is death. He stayed in the tomb for three days so that He could become acquainted with my hell that I deserved. And then rose again from the, from the dead by the power of God. And that same power that rose Him physically from the dead rose me spiritually from the dead 36 years ago in a jail cell in Tallulah, Louisiana. God reached into my heart. 
God reached into that tomb, into that cell where I was at and had the same effect in my heart that He had in the body of Jesus Christ. You want to see a miracle? You're looking at one. You want to see the resurrection of the dead? You're looking at it. I was lost. I was dead. I was separated from God by sin. I was spiritually as dead as Christ was physically dead. And yet Christ showed up in my life, illuminated, regenerated, and woke me up spiritually that I might come out of the tomb of the life that I was living and come live a life that brings glory and honor to Him. Well, we're going to pick up in that uh, chapter 2 and verse 1 and go all the way through Verse 10, but I'm going to kind of go through it slow. We'll pick it apart as we go. You look at verse 1, and you hath he quickened. You hath he God, not God the Father, not God the Son, not God the Holy Spirit. Of course, God the Father does it by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word. Because it's by the washing of water of the Word, by the regeneration of the washing of the water of the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, that we are quickened, that we are illuminated, regenerated, and woke up from our spiritual death. And you have He quickened. God the Father quickened or woke you up from death, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now I want you to realize, it's not a, it's not a euphemism. It's not a typology. It is a reality that we were dead. For all of sin come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. The wage of sin is death, and the wicked go astray as soon as they come forth from the womb. We were born dead. Physically alive, spiritually active, but soulishly active, but spiritually dead. Separated from God. And I shared with you last week how that separation is what death is. When the inside of me separates from the outside of me, that's physical death. When I as a human being, body, soul, mind, will, and emotion, spirit, everything is separated from God by sin, that is spiritual death. But God quickened or regenerated or woke me up from that spiritual death and I did not accomplish that myself. I didn't even accompany Him in the doing of it any more than Christ did in coming out of that tomb. When God woke him up, he came out. When God woke me up, I came to Christ. And I bent the knee and bowed the head and surrendered my life. Remember, what we're talking about quickening is the same thing as regeneration. Regeneration or waking up is not the same thing as salvation. Salvation comes because you were quickened. Remember what John uh, Jesus told uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Being born again, regenerated, opens the door for your salvation. That means entering into the kingdom of God by grace through faith. But it was a sine qua non. It's something that you have to do in order for this to take place. Except a man be born again, regenerated, woke up spiritually from his death. And he cannot help himself while he's dead. Now that God has regenerated or woke him up, he sees his need and he comes to Christ by faith and enters into the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? I'm telling you that we have to be quickened, woken up from our spiritual death. You look at verse 2 and 3 and it says this, wherein in time past you walked. In time past I walked what? In death. 
You were dead in trespasses and sin. Verse 1. And where in time time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. For all of sin come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And we all walked according to to the principalities and the powers of darkness. We all walked in sin to the course of this world. We were all children of disobedience. There weren't any good yous and bad me's. It was all of us. We were all sinners, separated from God by our sin and living a life. You know, I, I, I think of that verse in the Old Testament where it says, Oh, we like sheep. But you see, we're not talking about sheep. Now, did, did you know... How many sheep do I have in the house tonight? I mean, t- today. How many? How many of you are born again? You're born into the family of God. You know you're a child of God. You know you're a sheep. Uh, you you know you're saved. Did Did you know that you were a lamb? You were a sheep of God before you ever got saved. That that my, I know my sheep, and they hear my voice, and they come to me. What is he talking about? He's talking about the voice of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God that illuminates, regenerates, wakes up. They hear my voice because of regeneration through the water of the Word. And they hear my voice and they come to me. And it not only says that my sheep hear my voice and they come to me. They know me. They come to me. But they follow me. They continue to follow me throughout their lives. Why? Because they're sheep. See, we don't come to Him in order to become sheep. We come to Him because we are sheep. In verse 2 and 3 again says, Wherein in time past you walked according to the court of this, uh, course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation. That word conversation means lifestyle. Certainly we all stumble, we all falter, we all fail, we all sin. All saints are sinners. Not all sinners are saints. But we have a lifestyle. We have a conversation in this world that we converse with the world around us. Now, if we have a conversation or a lifestyle of sin, then we are lost. We may be His sheep and not have come to the Master yet, not heard His voice. One day, hopefully, we will. Well, if we're His sheep, we definitely will. But there's a lot of people out there that their lifestyle, their conversation is a conversation of sin, and among also whom also we all had that lost lifestyle of conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth that's ever been born was born in sin, was born dead, stillbirthed separated from God because of our sin, and we walked in this life, a lifestyle of sinfulness, until God shows up and quickens, illuminates, regenerates, wakes up, and draws us to Himself. We were the children of wrath. That is verse 2 and 3, but you look at verse 4. I love the way that verse starts even though we were the children of wrath and then it says but god but god it doesn't say but mark richardson but you all of a sudden by your own prowess by your own power by your own intellect by your own understanding by your own illumination it says but god who is rich in mercy mercy is god not giving you what you do 
deserve. Grace is God giving you something that you don't deserve. He gave me love. He gave me mercy. I don't deserve mercy. That was an act of God's grace by Him giving me mercy. Mercy is not giving me what I do deserve, which is justification, justice, uh, separation, uh, condemnation, wrath, damnation. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us. Now, I want you to realize who He's talking about there. Us. Us. Uh, Those are the ones whom He is doing that work of quickening, regeneration, illumination, waking up and drawing out of sin. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he, for they are spiritual and he is carnal, sold under sin. But when God regenerates or quickens or wakens us up, we're not the natural man anymore. And now, because we're unnatural, because we've been born again, born the second time, now we can receive the things of the Spirit of God. And that's what it's saying in that verse. That God in His love and mercy wherewith He loved us. And uh, you, you look at verse 5. It says, Even when we were dead in sin, has quickened us, regenerated us, woke us up together with Christ by unmerited favor are you saved. Now, what we are saying here, or what I should say, hey, it's not me. I'm just reading black ink on white paper, amen? This is, this is actually, literally, the Word of God. Now, if you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, then you have to say amen to what the Bible says. You may say oh me to what the preacher says, because sometimes preachers have a tendency to say what's on their heart or on their mind, and not literally black ink on white paper, reading it verbatim off of the pages of Scripture. But when this tells us that we all had our conversation, our lifestyle in times past in the lust of our flesh in verse 3, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as everybody else, for all have sinned come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none that comes to faith in God by Himself. But the Bible says, but God. You see, it's not but you or but me or but somebody else, but it's but God does a work. In our heart, God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead and helpless and hopeless and couldn't do a thing for ourselves, He has quickened us. That means that He did not need my cooperation in order to be regenerated or born again or quickened. All of those things, all those three things, are identical in their definition. Regeneration, born again, quickened, brought back to life from spiritual death. Now that is not salvation. I know eternal life comes by grace through faith when I trust Christ as my Lord and Savior. Do I cooperate with God in order to be saved? Yes is the answer to that. All of us must come to God by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We'll get to that in just a minute in chapter 2 and verse 8, 9, and 10. But certainly we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about cooperating with God in order to be saved. We're talking about God doing a work in our heart that frees us. 
from the bondage and the yoke of sin in our life that has kept, kept us bound and separated from God. We have no desire for the things of God as long as we are spiritually dead to the things of God. But when God comes in through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, by the washing and regeneration of the Word of God, He quickens, wakes us up, and now we see our need and we come to Christ to be saved. It says this, you look back at verse 1. And you hath He quickened. You hath He regenerated. You hath He born again. Who were dead in sin and trespasses. Or in trespasses and sin. Now look at 5. And it says, The great love wherewith He loved us. Even when we were dead in sins. Hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Now He reiterates that. You see, he says the same thing twice. Just in a little. You were dead. You had no hope. You were out Christ, without Christ, without God. You were without any power in and of yourself spiritually to do anything about the dilemma that you found yourself in. You were DEAD. You were dead. And God shows up. Do you remember where God showed up? Remember what I told you? You want to see a miracle? You want to see the resurrection of the dead? You're looking at Him. You're looking at Him. God did a work in me. He, he turned my whole world upside down. Changed my heart. Changed my destiny. Changed my destination. He changed everything. When He changed me in my heart through regeneration and illumination and then salvation, everything on the inside changed first and then the outside changes. People today are trying to get, get people to change the outside Stop doing this. Start doing that. Stop doing this. Start doing that. And then it'll seep in and get to your heart and to your mind and you'll come to faith in Christ. If you're waiting to be good before you give your heart and your life to Christ, you'll never be saved. Because there is none good. There is none that seeketh after God. No, not one. I wasn't one and you weren't one and there never will be one that seeks after God in and of Himself. We don't do good things in order to gain our salvation through merit. He quickened those who were dead, and He quickened those who were dead while they were dead, and brought them to life. Now verse 6 says this, And He hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ. Do you see all of the things that God is doing, God is doing, God is doing, God is doing in our salvation experience? There is not one thing here that it is saying that you need to do. You've got to do. Now certainly we understand for salvation we've got to cooperate with God. But we can until regeneration is finished. Regeneration takes place in order for us to be saved. And it says, He hath raised us up. Just as He raised Christ from the dead, just as He raised me from the spiritual dead, He raises everybody up together and made us to sit in heavenly places with Christ. What is those heavenly places in Christ that He made us to sit? Well, when God the Holy Spirit shows up, the Spirit of Christ... We are sitting in heavenly places because of illumination when God wakes us up and shows us our sin. Shows us our need for salvation, our need for Christ. Those are heavenly things. Those are not earthly things. Those are not fleshly things. 
Those are heavenly things that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, raises us up above our own ability, our own power, our own intellect, and shows us things that are heavenly, that are outside of the realm of my natural man. That's called regeneration. Verse 7 says, He does that because, that word that in verse 7, that in the ages to come, because so in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace, His unmerited favor in my life, His unmerited favor in my home, in my family, in my, my soul, my destiny. See, all of those things are an act of God's grace. If it's, if it's coupled together with my cooperation, then I can claim responsibility unless I was powerless and had no power to change my destiny, the outcome, until God regenerated, illuminated, and gave me the power. What does it say in the Gospel of John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made for Him and by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of the world, and the light shone in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. They were dead. He didn't give them power because they came to Him. As many as received Him... He didn't give them power because they received Him. They received Him because He gave them power. That is quickening. That is regeneration. That is the waking up of the Holy Spirit in our life. Same thing that has been spoken of here. And you look again in verse 6 and we'll go on into verse 7. It says this. It says in verse 6, "...and hath raised us up together and made us to sit." together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. It's not about us. It's about Him. You see, it's about His glory. It's about the grace that He shed on us in, in illumination, regenerating, waking us up, and drawing us to Himself in order that we might become the children of God. And if you think that, that it, this, this is talking about ministry or something, just, just read verse 5 over in chapter 1. We're not going to go there, but uh, you can do that in your leisure. But you look at verse 7 again here in chapter 2. That in the ages to come, He might show His exceeding riches and grace in His kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. And then you see the meat of chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are you saved. May, may I say that it doesn't say, for by grace are you offered the opportunity to be saved. That if you get it right, if you pull yourself up by your bootstrap and you do the right thing, you make the right choice, you, you do what you do as a human being for the glory and honor of God if you'll trust Him. And that faith and that trust is your faith and your trust. It doesn't come from God. God's given every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth a certain amount of, of faith. And now if you use it right, you get to go to heaven. If you use it poorly, you go to hell. That is a merit-based salvation doctrine. We know what the Bible says. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, not of merit. For we are His workmanship as far as Christianity goes, as far as salvation goes. If we are born again, if we are regenerated, if we are quickened and drawn into a faith relationship, a love relationship, an intimate love relationship with God, it's all because God loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. And He loved us in eternity past where He set His heart and His affection on us and drew us to Himself in time, space, and matter here in this life, in this world. He changed our destiny. We didn't do it ourselves. We are the product of the work of God and the work of God alone. You look again at verse 8. For by grace, unmerited favor, are you not given the opportunity to be saved? But for by grace, are you saved through faith? Oh, there's the cooperation. But I can only have that faith if God first regenerated, woke me up, and illuminated me, and enabled me to have faith, because I couldn't do faith when I was spiritually dead. Faith is a spiritual activity. And if I was spiritually dead, I couldn't have faith in Christ. I, I didn't believe in Christ. I didn't believe in God. But the illumination that comes along with regeneration, quickening, the quickening, the waking up of the dead soul brings us to a point of light, a point of seeing the truth of ourselves, that we're sinners in the hands of an angry God. He's angry at our sin, the Bible says, every day. Isn't it a horrible thing to think about being angry every day, every day, every day, just full of wrath, full of anger. And God is like, He's the only only person in the universe that can be both angry every day and still be happy and joyful and loving and kind and good and merciful and all of the things that He is and, and still express part of His character and His nature of wrath and anger towards sin. And He hates sin with a holy hatred. But He has a great love wherewith He loved us and illuminated, regenerated, drew us to Himself and saved our souls. He did those things for us. You look at verse 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should pat himself on the back and say, boy, what a good boy I was. I went to church. I read my Bible. I paid my tithes. I used my faith. I exercised the abilities and the talents that I had. I remember the Pharisee going into the tabernacle with the Samaritan and the Pharisee looking up to heaven and saying, Oh God, I thank you I'm not like that guy. Look at him. I can smell him. Filthy. I give my tithes. I do good works. I do this and I do that. The Samaritan over there would never lift his head up. But he beat himself upon the chest and said, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner man. Do you understand what we're talking about here? We're talking about the difference between the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. And it is only the work of the Spirit, not my Spirit or your Spirit, but God's Spirit 
in us that brings illumination regeneration that brings the opportunity and the power for us to be able to come to faith in Christ and receive him as our Lord and as our Savior and it says again in verse 8 9 and 10 for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works are we to live a life of good works yes in order to be saved no no we don't do what we do in order to get what we want We don't live a life of holiness and sanctification and and a life of faithfulness to the Word of God, to the house of God, to the people of God. We don't try to change ourselves outwardly that hopefully, eventually, what's on the inside will make it to heaven. But God changes what's on the inside that ultimately starts changing us on the outside. And we start doing what we do by coming to church, reading our Bible, giving our tithe, living the life God has called us to live. Not so we can get what we want, but because we love who we love. Do you love this world? Do you love your sin? Do you love the things of the flesh? More? Then you love God. My friend, it doesn't matter what you do outwardly. You'll hear the words, depart from me for I never knew you. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. You don't know me. Don't you judge me, preacher. Oh, I'm not. The Word of God is plenty fine at doing that. All you got to do is hold somebody up to the Bible, up to the Word of God, and their reflection through the Word of God shows exactly who they are. And by the way, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Wait a minute, yeah, you don't know the works that I've done. Uh, I, I drove, I drove the, the bus to go pick up the kids. I, I sat with them in the class, and you know how kids are. i, I got to get rewarded for that. Certainly, I deserve heaven, right? No. There's none righteous, no, not one. We don't earn our way to heaven. We don't go to heaven by doing good works. We don't go to heaven by joining the church and being baptized. We don't go to heaven by believing in Jesus. Ooh, wait a minute. What did you just say? The devil believes in Jesus. He ain't going to heaven. Does that surprise you? See, it's not believing in Jesus that saves our souls. It's believing Jesus. When he says, I am the way, do you believe that? Or do you believe there are other ways? Well, you know, there's a lot of a lot of religions out there. God's not gonna God's not gonna stop people from going to heaven just because they don't believe in Christianity. Can't Buddhists and Shintoists and Islamic folks? Can't they? You know, as long as they believe in the one true. I mean, even even the the uh, I believe it was the uh, Indians, uh, Cheyenne or one of the Cherokee. That's what it was. Cherokee believed in the in the one God, the the great spirit of heaven. They, they get to go to heaven. They only believed in one God. Same way we do. Christianity isn't that the same God? No. No, because they did not know the only name given among men whereby we must be saved is the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Well, that's narrow. It is, ain't it? But I didn't make it. God did. God says there's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Do you believe that? And that if they're not, that they're going to go to a place called hell. If that's true and you believe that, when's the last time you shared that testimony with somebody 
because you didn't want them to go to hell? When's the last time you shared the gospel with people? If you, if you believe in God, believe the Bible, believe in heaven, believe in hell, you believe people are dying and going to hell every day, how much of your time do you spend not only living for God, studying the Word of God, hiding it in your heart that you might not sin against God, but how much of your time during the day do you share Christ? The only way to avoid hell. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your love, for Your mercy. We thank You for the opportunity that You've given us to be faithful to You. We ask you, God, that you'll strengthen us and help us, God, to live a life that brings glory and honor to you and, and not to ourselves. God, we thank you for the work of regeneration, the work of quickening that the Holy Spirit has done in our hearts, our lives, our minds. God, waking us up from spiritual slumber and death. God, that we might be usable for your glory and your honor. Help us, God, to be faithful to you. And we'll praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.